I'd encourage you to take your Bibles out and open up there to Matthew chapter 25. We'll get there here in just a moment. Matthew chapter 25. I'm so thankful for the opportunity to be here with you tonight to present a message from God's Word. It's it's certainly a joyful time when we can come together, especially with all these little ones, to sing these songs and to teach teach God's Word to them. And and it's so encouraging to, to see them. We were here Monday night. Uh, me and my boys were able to make it back last night. But we're back tonight. My wife is able to join us tonight. So it's, I'm glad that she's here, able to be here. Uh, she works as a nurse, and so sometimes at nighttime she's pulled away uh, for that. But we're glad that I'm glad that she's able to come over with us tonight. As well, as Josh said, we work with the church in Burksville. Burksville is about a group about 50 or so there in the middle of town. But we're certainly thankful for for the work there and the and the and the, the brethren we have there at Burksville. And, and, and we hope and pray that we can be there for quite a while and we can see a lot of good done in Cumberland County. Now I want you to think about a little story that I that I've read, that I heard not too long ago, as we begin to think about our subject tonight. And it talks about a group of men were out playing basketball, and, and they come to a pause in the game, and, and one of them asked a very serious question to the rest of them. And he said, what would you do if tonight was your last night on earth? What would you do if today was the last day you had to walk upon the face of this the others sat there for just a few moments and they began to contemplate what was what they would do and finally one of them broke the silence and said well if it was my last day on earth i think i would go to church or i'd go pray somewhere and i'd ask god to forgive me of any wrongdoing that i've had and then someone else said well i think i would go and and i would visit some family and i would right some wrongs that i have made in the past i don't want those things lingering any longer Someone else said, well, I really don't want my family to have to deal with any anything that I have, so I'm going to take care of my debt. I'm going to pay up on some debts, that way my family doesn't have to worry about those things. And after a little bit more talking, finally one of them said, well, you've not said anything, what would you say? And the man sat there for a second, he said, I think I'd just play the game. And that's really the attitude that we should have as Christians. We should have the attitude that no matter what, we are ready for our life, for this earth, to come to an end. There wouldn't need to be any preparation made, anything that we need to go take care of. We'd be ready at this very moment. But that's really not how our world lives. In fact, there are many who believe they can prepare at the last minute when the Lord returns. This thought is driven away. And destroyed when we think about our subject for tonight, as was announced, the parable of the ten virgins. And so we're going to look at this parable tonight. We're going to look at some things that we can apply from it. And I hope that these things will be beneficial to you as we study them together. Now when we first think about this parable, we need to kind of understand the setting of it. Where it's coming from. And you'll find that this section of Matthew's Gospel is is included some of the most powerful teachings of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In fact, in His last visit to the city of Jerusalem, Jesus prophesies of fall and destruction. And He warns the disciples, encourages them to pay attention, be ready to flee the city. But then later on in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus talks about the judgment of all nations. 
Sandwiched in between these two statements, these two teachings rather, we find that there are three parables that are recorded. The parable of the faithful and the wicked servants, the parable of the ten virgins, and the parable of the talents. And these three parables are different stories, but they all, all three have the same focus, and they all three have some of the same teachings. And we find that all three of these talks about the Master's coming is going to be delayed. And all three of them talk about that one is prepared, one group is prepared, and another is not. And it talks about the award that, the, that are given to the prepared, those who are ready. And it also talks about how the unprepared will be punished. And And all of this is that we need to we, we do not know when the Lord to will return, and so we need to make preparation now. We need to be ready now for the Lord's return. What does this parable teach? Well, let's go back and look through this parable tonight, and we'll begin looking at some of the things that we learned from it. Let's start by just simply reading this parable together as we begin looking at this. Go with me, Matthew chapter twenty five, beginning there in verse number one. It says, "In the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out and meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you. Go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. And afterward the virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. And so when we look at this parable, we we find it seems very simple for us. When we look at what's going on. And as we see this begin, it's talking about the brides, uh, the the virgins and going out to meet the bridegroom. We understand that at this time, that weddings were a big deal, like they are now. It's something we put a lot of thought into, and something we should put a lot of thought into, something we make great preparations for. Well, we want to make sure that, that we're committing, as the Bible says, till death do us part. And we understand how important these things are. But during this time, in the days of Jesus, the marriage was kind of a drawn-out process. In fact, different uh, stages to a marriage. The first part was what they call the arrangement. And most marriages at this time were arranged by the parents, and oftentimes this was done at a very early age. And so this whole process could take several years for it to come about. But after this arrangement is made, then they have the betrothal period. And at this time, a dowry was paid by the man to the wife's parents, and vows were exchanged. However, the woman still continued to stay with her parents for a short time longer. And then we come to what we read about here in our parable is that of the feast. 
And at this time, then the, the families got, carried out a large celebration. The woman would leave to be with her husband. As we said, the parable that we're focusing on now is at that point in time. See, in this parable, as we said in verse number 1, that these ten women are waiting for the bridegroom to come for his bride. And they've all prepared lamps or torches with oil in anticipation of the groom's arrival. But think about it for a minute. Wouldn't you expect a wedding to start on time? When you have a wedding, when you go to a wedding, and it says it's going to start at 5 o'clock or 3 o'clock or 7 o'clock, you really expect it to start at 7 o'clock, don't you? Or 3 o'clock, whatever the time was. And because of this, we usually prepare for these things. They're planned out events. And you'll have your bridal party oftentimes come the night before and you'll walk through the whole ceremony, the whole process. That's what we did. And I know a lot of people, this is the, the customary thing, to, to rehearse the wedding. So you think, well, they didn't bring enough oil, as we see, but we're going to see there in just a minute how five were foolish and five were not. But here's the point about all of this. This isn't a parable on wedding planning. This isn't a parable telling us on, on, on how to make sure a wedding goes right. This is a lesson on being prepared. And the Bible tells us, as we said, that five were wise and five were foolish. And we need to understand as well when we think about this passage in verse number 2 here, that it's a very serious thing to call someone a fool. Jesus doesn't just haphazardly assign this character to, excuse me, this character to, the, to these ladies. No, their foolishness becomes apparent in the event that takes place. And at first, we couldn't tell a difference. They have all come to this wedding feast and you couldn't tell a difference. Between the between the wise and the foolish, they all brought their lamps. They all come, but while all of this was taking place, we find that they had the, the bridegroom was delayed, and they had all slept and slumbered. It's interesting when you think about these events that take place, because you realize that. No one's saying, well, the Lord's not going to come. The bridegroom's not going to come. They're all anticipating His being there. But five were foolish and five weren't. Why? Well, notice again what it says there in verses 3 and 4. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. And so we see the wise bridesmaids prepared for the unexpected. Do you ever have to prepare for the unexpected? We have three little boys, and one of them here just recently learned how to be body trained. And, and there's still times when we travel that we've got to prepare for the unexpected. And so what do we do? We take a change of clothes with us. We're ready for those things that might come about. These bridesmaids, the wise ones, were wise because they prepared for the unexpected. They considered the possibility that the wedding procession might be delayed. And guess what? It was. As we see in verse 5, we've said, as we said, the bridegroom was delayed in his coming. 
They considered this possibility, so they took more oil in their vessels with them. And the foolish ones did not. And notice that this difference does not make a difference at all until the bridegroom is delayed. You see, if the bridegroom would have been on time, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference between the wise and the foolish. They'd all been together, all been together and be classified as the same. But because of this, because of this difference, it makes all the difference. They were delayed because of this. And the timing, as we see in verses 6 and 7, the timing was not what may have been expected. It says it was at midnight that a cry came that the bridegroom was coming. But we need to understand as well that it was entirely under the control of the bridegroom on when came. And the wedding procession would begin whenever he arrived. And when all came out as we see there in verses 6 and 7 that the ladies got up and they trimmed their lamps. And at this time is when we've determined who are the wise and who are the foolish. The wise got up, they turned their lamps, and they had enough oil to, to cover, to, to, to light their lamps. And at this time, the foolish, and they find out they don't have enough. Well, let me borrow some of yours, or let me borrow some of yours. And share with us so that we can go in. But it says they didn't have enough to share, and so they were forced to go and buy some for themselves. But while they were gone, the procession begins and the wedding party and the five wives go into the ceremony. This time, the door. What happens next? Verses 9 and 10 there, I skipped over that point there. But what happens next may seem shocking to us. But when the foolish ladies return with more oil, ready to join the others, they are refused entry. In fact, it says again, twelve, that Jesus speaking says as as, as, the, as the bridegroom, I do not know. How awful would that be? How awful would that be to think we've made the preparations, to think that we're ready to see our God, and we get there and Him say, I do not know you. All the preparations that we make today matter. They all are important for us. We've just got to be ready. We've got to put the time into today. So that when this life does come to an end, or the Lord returns, we won't be refused at the door. But rather we could hear those words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys of the Lord. The bridegroom alone has the power or right to admit one to the wedding. But he refuses and says, I did, do not know you. It was too little, too late for these five foolish virgins. And in the ending of this, of this parable, Jesus takes them to a whole new level. And these ladies made a fateful mistake from which there was no remedy. They missed it all. They missed everything that, that, was, that was there. The question is, how do we interpret these words? How do we, how, what do we take away from, these less, from, from this teaching? What lessons are there for us to learn? I think there's three 
crucial lessons for us to think about tonight. And I want to share those with you for just a few moments. What can we learn when it comes to this, this parable? Well, as we talked about, the first thing is that we are to prepare for the unexpected. The foolish bridesmaids did not make preparations as we talked about. That would ensure their entrance whenever the bridegroom came. And in fact, because of this, we see that as the text says that Jesus replied, I do not know you. But what's that mean for us today? It means that we've got to prepare for the unexpected. How much longer do you plan to live? How much longer do you plan to walk on the face of this earth? I think all of us have seen enough things happen. Tragedies strike. That we know that tomorrow is not promised. We have a young couple back in Berksville and... I coached my son's t-ball team this year, and, and I had this, this man's two kids on the t-ball team. Forty-six years old, he had two young children. A month ago, he was on the baseball field with me. Two weeks ago, he had a massive heart attack and fell down dead. His kids wondering where their daddy went. And in an instant, life can change. We've got to prepare for the unexpected. How many of us are going home, or plan to go home tonight? I plan to go home. How many of us plan to get in a car wreck tonight? It's not expected, is it? But we've got to make preparations. We've got to be ready to meet our Lord because we don't know when these things will take place. And add to that the fact the Bible tells us that, that we do not know the time or the hour in which the Lord will return. Over in Matthew chapter 24, just back one chapter there in verse number 44. Jesus teaches, therefore you also be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. At an hour you do not expect. He's coming when we are not prepared. He's coming when we aren't ready. That means we've got to make preparation. And notice in this that Jesus is talking to His disciples. One thing I do oftentimes is sit around and think about different things, how they might be or how they might occur. And one of the things that I sometimes think about is how the Lord's going to return, how that's going to look. How do you how have you pictured that in your mind? How do you have his return planned out? How do you visualize is he coming? Is he going to come just after you decide to repent and deal with whatever sin you might be having? He's going to give me enough time. I'm going to be able to live the way that I want. I'm going to be able to get all my selfish desires out. I'm going to be able to, to be involved in sinful things, but I'll have time to repent before he comes back. Is he going to come just after you decide to become responsible? And live a responsible, and live as you should live responsibly. See, this parable teaches us that Christians can be continually prepared for His coming. And how many people have we seen show that they've lived their lives, they've been sound in the faith? Perhaps they were great Bible teachers. Perhaps they were preachers of God's word. 
And then one day you find that they are no longer walking faithfully serving God. They're they're no longer prepared. Go with me for just a moment to the book of 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3. Here Peter's going to show us two different types of people. And I think this is important for us to consider as we think about being prepared. In 2 Peter chapter 3, we find beginning in verse 3 that Peter will begin to tell us about the scoffers. And 2 Peter chapter 3, went one page too far. 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse number 3, it says, Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust, and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. This really, these two verses show us really what our world is like today and the people around us. People have no desire to serve God. They have no regard for His teaching. And in fact, they even begin to mock us and make fun of us because of it. Where is your God that says He's going to return? Where is your God that's going to take you away from this place of torment that that we live in here on earth? The, The gun violence is on the rise. Violence in general is on the rise. We're seeing mass shooting after mass shooting. We're seeing innocent children being killed. We're seeing wars all over the place. Where is God to stop all of this? They mock us. They make fun of us. They're trying to pull us away to think, well, maybe He's not coming. Maybe there is no God. But notice what Peter continues to say there in verse number 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hasting the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. We don't know. Why God allows certain things to happen. He does. He doesn't intervene. And that's because He's given all man free will. But don't let that stop you from serving God. Don't let the scoffers pull you away. Prepare for the unexpected because God will come as a thief in the night. We must look for it and we must expect it. Preparing for the Lord's return demands a constant and conscious recognition of the event. But also, as we see this, we must prepare for the unexpected. But we also realize that preparedness demands effort. You see, the wise bridesmaids thought through the scenario of delayed coming. And more than that, they considered with passion the importance of being a part of the wedding at any cost. And so they brought. Extra oil for their lamps. You know, really, it's not a natural occurrence for Christians to be prepared. It takes effort. It takes risk. It takes dedication. There are obstacles to which that we have to overcome. There are temptations that we have to face. First of all, we see in this point that it involves learning and applying truth to our lives. It involves spending time reading the Scriptures. Gaining the faith that comes from reading the Scripture and applying those things to our life. 
It involves learning what the Bible says that we must do in order to gain salvation. And learning the things that we must do to make sure our heart is right with God so when He comes again, we will be with Him for all eternity. And we'll talk more about those points here just later on. So we'll leave those where they're at. But also as we think about how being prepared takes effort or demands effort, we see that it also involves seeking spiritual things over physical things. This is the problem with our world today. Our world is constantly seeking over physical things. That's what they want. Now go with me back to the book of Luke in Luke chapter 12. In Luke chapter 12, we find that Jesus is dealing with the rich young, excuse me, the, the, the rich fool. And beginning in verse number 20, it says that God said to him, you fool. This night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will these things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or what, or about your body, what you will put on. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. And he goes on down through this and telling us about all the things that we should be focused on. And you come all the way down to verse 31. It says, but seek the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added to you. Don't worry about the physical things. Don't worry about what you'll eat, what you'll put on. Does that mean that we don't work? That means we go home and sit on like a bump on the log saying, God, if you want me to eat today, you'll drop it in my lap. God, if you want me to put clothes on today, you'll get me dressed. No, that's not what that's saying. We understand that we have to work. We have to provide for ourselves. But that shouldn't be our main focus. It shouldn't be providing the best things for ourselves and for our children. It shouldn't be our only focus. But let me tell you, so many people in the world, that's what they're focused on. They're focused on the physical. We have our oldest boy. He's seven. But he loves to play baseball. And he's a pretty pretty good little baseball player. In fact, last year, I'm going to brag on him for just a minute. As a six-year-old, he played on the eight-year-old all-star team. He's a good little ball player. And my wife and I have weighed back and forth. Do we look at a travel team? Do we look at travel ball for them? But there's a problem with travel ball. There's no regard for God. There's no regard for putting God first. They play tournaments on the weekends and they'll start first thing Sunday morning with, with no regard for it. And I've seen this in some of the things that are posted, some of the things that even some of the people in our county have posted. One of them said, well... One of the coaches, he had a little Bible study with him Sunday morning before the ball game. Is that what God wants? It's good that they thought about God, but God didn't say, well, do what you want, just squeeze me in here in the corner. No, He said, seek me first. Put me first. Are we doing that? We see this with sports. We see it with school. We see it with, 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 with work. We see it with entertainment and so on and so forth. People are not putting God first in their lives. They're serving their own desires. They're serving their own pleasures. Well, if they have time for God over here, then we'll squeeze them in later on. Preparedness demands effort. You know what that means? Sometimes we're going to have to miss out on the ball game. Sometimes we're not going to be able to make the fishing trip. 
Sometimes we're not going to be able to go to the golf course. Sometimes we're not going to be able to go watch the movie. Sometimes we're going to have to not take the overtime. Sometimes we're going to have to miss the, the extra school activities. There are sacrifices that are going to have to be made. We're there in the book of Luke and Luke chapter 12. Go over just a couple pages to Luke chapter 14. And Luke chapter 14 and verses 25 through 33, Jesus there talks about the cost of discipleship. He talks about the cost of discipleship. What does that mean for us? What do we take from that? Well, notice what he says. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, and yes, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For what you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it. Lest after he has laid the foundation is not able to finish it, all who see it mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. Or else while the other a great way off, he sends a delegation as conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. You know, there's three things that really stick out to me when I read this passage. Sometimes being a Christian, serving God, means that we're going to have to give up family. That passage there doesn't mean that we're literally to hate our mother and father, our brothers and sisters, our wife, our children, our husbands. No, it means love less. Sometimes family wants you to love them more. And we've got to determine that God will come first. Sometimes we're going to have to give up our own personal pleasure. And sometimes we're going to have to give up. Some money. We're going to have to give up our, our treasures, some things that we've, we've worked for. Why? Because we must forsake all that we have to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. How often do we see this play out? Seek God first. Seek God first. Preparedness demands effort. And also, preparedness is a personal responsibility. We cannot borrow the faith of someone else. There is no way to better ourselves by trying to be someone else. Or having someone force us. Preparedness is a personal responsibility. If you do not have it when you need it, you do not have it. It's plain and simple. And you think about parents raising children. If parents can, if parents cannot fail to train, if parents fail to train their children in righteousness, then we can't expect someone else to rescue them in a moment of disaster. They're going to have to pay for their mistakes. They're going to have to pay for the things that they've done. Preparedness is a personal responsibility. No one can throw me in the water to be baptized. No one can push me into the lake. It has to be me. My, it has to be my decision. It has to be something I want to do. But the question, when we look at all of these things and we think about these lessons that we learn, the question then becomes: How do we prepare ourselves to be ready when the Lord returns? How do we prepare ourselves to be ready?
Well, the first thing that we must do, and, and, and please understand, I don't know your situation. I don't know if you're a child of God or not. But the first thing that we must do to prepare ourselves is get in the game. How can you win if you don't play? I love softball. I've always liked baseball, and now I've not played in quite some time, but I love slow-pitch softball. And Down in Berksville, every year we have what they call the Southern. It's a big softball tournament. It's a week-long tournament. And there I go down and watch it sometimes, and I just thought, man, I'd love to be out there playing. I'd love to win. But I understand if I don't go play, there's no chance of me winning. You can't win unless you play the game. Well, how do we begin playing the game? Well, it begins by following the Lord's plan of salvation. And this might be all old stuff. You might know all of this great. But maybe there's one here tonight that doesn't know this. This is the the pattern, the, the, the steps that the Lord has told us that we must do in order to become a child of God. He says that we must hear the word. Romans 10 of verse 17 says that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You begin to hear the word tonight. The question is, do you believe it? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God? Do you believe that Jesus came to this earth, lived a perfect life, died a horrible death, rose three days later and now sits at the right hand of God? Jesus is clear to teach us in John 8 verse 44, unless you believe that I am, you shall die. In your sins. The Bible then tells us that we must repent. That means we're to change our ways. One time I was in a study with someone, in a discussion with someone, and they said, yes, you've got to repent. You've got to make a 360 degree turn and get away from that sin. Did you catch that? You're back on the same path you're on. Make a 180 degree turn. Change your ways. The Bible is clear, teaches in Luke 13 and verse 3, unless you repent, you all likewise perish. The Bible also tells us then that we must be willing to confess. As the Ethiopian eunuch did in Acts 8 and verse 37, we said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And upon that confession, we find that both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. How do we get in the game? It's by following the Lord's plan and being baptized for remission of our sins. Well, I was sprinkled as a child. Or, 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 or I was baptized, but it wasn't for remission of my sins. I, I was saved before that. I challenge you to study further. Because the Bible is clear to teach us that baptism is what brings about salvation. Mark 16 and verse 16. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. 1 Peter 3 and verse 21. The like figure wherein to baptism doth also now save us. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Baptism is what brings about salvation. But here's the point. This isn't enough. Following this, these, these steps isn't going to get us there. We must continue to live faithfully. We have to finish the race. Paul talked about this in 2 Timothy chapter 4 when he wrote to the young preacher Timothy. And there he tells the young preacher Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And he says, finally there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. That's what we're after. That's what we desire is that crown of righteousness. Are you seeking that? Are you trying to follow after that that path that will lead us 
to heaven. Before Paul wrote these things to Timothy, earlier on in Paul's life in Acts chapter 12, we find that Paul had been warned by the Holy Spirit that imprisonment and afflictions awaited him if he went to Jerusalem. But I want you to notice what Paul says about these things there in Acts chapter 20. We find that he knew these things would take place, and we find that even the brethren were encouraging him to stay away. But in Acts 20 verse 24, Paul says, But none of these things move me. Nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul had a mission. And his mission was that he was going to serve God. He was going to get the message of Jesus Christ out and he was going to keep the faith. And as he wrote to Timothy, you see that he did. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. That is what God is looking for from you. He wants you to keep the faith. He wants you to stay grounded in His Word. He wants you to stay grounded in the truth. And He wants you, when this life is over, to hear the words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. I encourage you this evening to finish the race. No matter what, finish the race. Satan will attack. Finish the race. The world will laugh and mock. Finish the race. Sacrifices will have to be made. Finish the race. Others will drop out. Finish the race. Sins will be set you. Distractions will confront you. Even other races will sometimes ridicule you. Finish the race. Others may get more recognition in this life. You, you may lose some of the other racers, the races that you have in this life. It doesn't matter. Finish the race. No matter what comes about. No matter what you face. Keep the faith. You ever thought about what you want to write on your tombstone when this life is over? A loving husband. A loving wife. Mother. Brother, sister, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. That statement sums up someone's life. Wouldn't it be wonderful to be able to have that written on your tombstone? Talk about the character and the person that you were. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, and begin reading there in verse number 1, and notice what the Hebrew writer says. He says, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has set us down at the right hand of the throne. Of God. Is something hindering you today? Is something stopping you from being faithful to God? Lay it aside. Is some sin clinging closely to you? Some sin that, that, that you struggle with? Cut it off. 
Don't let it be a temptation any longer. Is Satan telling you to quit running so hard? Is Satan telling you to relax? Is Satan telling you to take a break? Run faster. Run harder. And run with endurance. I'm begging you for the sake of God's glory. Do not let anything matter to you more than finishing the race of life. Being prepared to meet our God. Don't let anything stop you. The question is, as we look at this parable and we think about the teachings that we take from it, the question is, is are we prepared? Are we prepared to meet our God? Realize again that when the Lord returns, there will be no second chances. There will be no time to make preparations. The time to prepare is now. Today is the day of salvation. I thank you so much for your time and your attention tonight.